Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie. Julian, what's going on, man? Man, things are going pretty well, man. Pretty good week, pretty good weekend. Uh, A lot of hockey going on. Uh, I know the NBA All-Star Game's on this weekend, which I still find really weird. There's a lot of stuff going on in the sports world I just find weird that it's happening, but it's happening. And I've reasoned with it already. And the fact that we are already past the halfway mark of the NHL season and we've seen all the different storylines that we've seen, uh, I'm just excited to see what's next. But uh, yeah, I'm going pretty good. What about you, Justin? I'm pretty good. You're right. Everything is happening. Everything is happening amid a pandemic. And we're going to get to some NHL COVID-19 news a little bit later. Um, But that's more, you know, upbeat stuff. I think we have to start on a down note and then build our way back up. And if we're going to start on a down note, there is no better place to start than the Buffalo Sabres, who, you know, they've been having a bad week for more than a week, for, you know, months and years. It's it's been pretty bad for a long time, but it's been especially bad, at least recently, with Ralph Kruger having his little issue over the weekend last weekend and Kevin Adams having to come out and talk midweek and sort of a five o'clock Friday afternoon news dump, but he spoke nonetheless because things are pretty bad in Buffalo. And the latest little bit of report uh, or bit of news that we got out of Buffalo is from Elliot Friedman, who reported on Saturday's headlines that they are wide open for business ahead of the trade deadline, which means we could see a flurry of activity if anyone actually wants anyone who plays for the Buffalo Sabres. So take the temperature for me on this team. What is going on? What went wrong? And what should we expect, I guess, you know, in the next few days and weeks? moving forward you remember that clip that went viral i want to say a few years ago of that buffalo sabers fan who called into that buffalo radio station and just kind of lost it on ownership and the team and yes. you remember that clip i don't remember what the guy's name was i don't even know if he put his name up i wonder how that guy is feeling right now i have to say if you don't remember you're like for years we've looked at the buffalo sabers and we've said this is a team that has amassed all of these prospects And they were able to get Jack Eichel. And they're supposed to look good. They're going to be a playoff team. They're going to be a sleeper. It's been 10 years. They got all these free agents. It's been been like a decade. It's been 20 years. We'll say that. I'm tired Mm -hmm. of believing in the Buffalo Sabres. 
I'm tired. I'm done. I'm tired with it. I've wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. How many years in, years out? It's not to say I necessarily had them as a playoff team. I wanted to see them succeed. I thought when they got Taylor Hall in the offseason, you're like, you know what? The Buffalo Sabres, maybe this is the year This is they're going to be serious. I'm done. I, I can't I can't do that. I don't know how people in Buffalo put up with this. I don't know how they do it. Like it, it's just it's nuts. Like like year after year after year after year. It's just incompetent and bad teams. And and it's just I'm not even a Sabres fan. I don't know how people put up with this team year in, year out, and it just sucks. It's just so frustrating to see. This team should have been good so long ago, and they're just not good. I don't get it. I need to say that off top because it's just it's genuinely frustrating as someone who follows the league to see a team just continue to be bad and bad and bad and continue to shoot itself in the foot year after year. How can you continue to be this bad? I I, I, I don't get it. Let me just get some water first. Hold on. Okay. It's a, a rare water break <sighs> mid spiel, but when you're ready, go ahead. Like, like, seriously. I, I don't get it, and I feel bad for Sabres fans in Buffalo, everywhere, whether in Southern Ontario, wherever. This team, year in, year out, continues to fail you. And look, as, as, as someone who follows the NHL, I just want to say I feel for you. But to answer your question and take, your, and take the temperature truly of this team, I'm not sure about this whole open season thing when you consider that a good deal of teams have little to no cap space. So mm. if they are going to be making some moves, the Sabres are going to have to retain some salary. Not to mention the fact that uh, if any Canadian teams are interested, they're going to have to get these deals up well in advance of the trade deadline because of quarantine rules. Right. This is almost like the worst. I mean, unless I'm wrong and unless the Sabres still find a way to make moves, which I guess is possible, but I guess just from my perspective, isn't this almost like the worst possible time to say you're just open for business anywhere because a lot of teams are in positions where they can't really take advantage of being open for business or, you know, quarantine rules and all that. It's a bit of a difficult situation for the Buffalo Sabres, but just another year of just, you know, BS. I think you make a great point because, you know, a rebuild after the previous rebuild is now going to be a significant challenge because so few teams can take part in their actual sell-off and whatever they actually have that people might want, it might be hard for them to actually get. But I do take issue with one thing you said. You're tired of being disappointed by this team, which makes, you know, suggests that you were once confident in this team. Like how, like I'm nothing. Not confident, but I was hopeful. You know, when, when teams go out of their way to try to improve themselves after being bad as long as they have, right. you think, okay, maybe there's hope for them to – I'm not saying they're going to – they should be winning the Stanley Cup. I'm not saying they should be perennial contenders. I'm saying they should be able to get out of the basement and get into the playoffs and at least put together yeah. competitive teams and, and you know, see themselves as, as good teams with some of the other teams in their conference. The Sabres haven't been able to do that. Yeah. They haven't been uh, able to do that. I think, to to your point, I think we underestimated how bad everything is, really, in Buffalo. I mean, they clearly have roster problems. The roster is broken. This GM, Kevin Adams, who just came in this last summer, he brought in a former MVP, a former Hart Trophy winner within the last five years, Taylor Hall, and Eric Stahl, who's, who was really good in Minnesota for the last couple of years, even though he's up there in age. And the team has done nothing but regress. And, you know, 
they still have you know lottery picks and all these guys like even even additions like Henry Yokoharu just guys that are supposed to be like oh wow that's a good player he's gonna help that team nothing has helped this team nothing at all has helped the Buffalo Sabres so clearly this is a roster that is too flawed to be repaired but they also have coaching problems Ralph Kruger just is not he's not fit to coach at the NHL level He's had two teams that he's been in charge of, the two teams that are laughed at the most in the last decade, which is the Edmonton Oilers and the Buffalo Sabres. But he plays a big part in that because he's been unable to fix or or do anything to help the situations in both those losing teams. So, you know, he has one more year, I believe, after this. So you're going to have to look at that. But why? I don't even know why you would make that move now because you're putting another coach or your next coach in a bad position. So you might as well just run out the string on Kruger as you dismantle this team and it's it's only been five, six years since they basically sold off everything and didn't want to win in an effort to get Connor McDavid. They got Jack Eichel, who's a great player, but that rebuild did not go as planned. And now five years later, six years later, they're just going to be heading into another rebuild. It's It's embarrassing that this situation has manifested itself again, but we're at the point where a rebuild is inevitable once again for the Buffalo Sabres 10 years after last making the playoffs, which means it could be another five years before they make the playoffs. And they don't really have anything to build around other than Jack Eichel, who is not going to want to wait another five years to play competitive hockey. So you basically have nothing but Jeff Skinner at $9 million for the next six, seven, eight years or whatever it is. You're basically working with $9 million less than any other team because you're paying that player $9 million. So, yeah, they they better be wide open for business because they're headed to another rebuild, and if they hold on to anything that they don't have to hold on to, they're making a grave mistake. Yeah, but again, just if you're trying to offload Eric Stahl's salary, I don't have his number off the top of my head, good luck trying to find a suitor for, for Jeff Skinner and his money. Jeff Skinner's it's, not going anywhere, but you got to retain 50% on Stahl, 50% on everyone. you got to do it. You have to sell these guys off as, as best you can because, as you mentioned at the top, uh, the challenge of getting them into different homes is going to be immense. Yeah, for sure. And so when you take those factors aside, that pretty much leaves Jack Eichel as the guy you have to see about getting the most for. And for Buffalo Sabres fans, again, I bring up the fans. How disappointing is it to see a guy like Jack Eichel, maybe not on the generational tier like Connor McDavid is, but he's clearly a game-changing player. And I believe if he's in a different situation, he'll he'll go back to thriving again. But how disappointing is it to see your your top pick be in a situation year after year where he wants to see his team succeed and he just can't do it on his own no matter what pieces are put around him this is a year they got taylor hall and they still can't win games it's absolutely frustrating but again for the buffalo sabers if they want any hope of really kicking this rebuild into gear they seriously have to look at trading eichel and i think there will be teams who will offer up prospects they'll offer up some some roster players as well i, I don't think they'll be short on suitors for that it's just going to be hard to do for the Sabres franchise to have to rebuild and reload again at the expense of, of a guy that they want as their, as their cornerstone. Taylor Hall has to go, obviously. I mean, he's yes, only, he he only signed a one-year contract. They basically signed him so they'd have the opportunity to flip him. Um, but if they're really going to flip or kickstart their uh, rebuild, it feels like Jack Eichel's got to be the guy that actually brings back something of value because I don't know if anyone else on the roster is going to bring back anything of value. Okay, let's move on to another bit of unfortunate news. I, w- I don't know if it's unfortunate. I guess it's unfortunate for Tom Wilson's bank account. And uh, certainly unfortunate for Brandon Carlo, who was uh, released from the hospital after being hit 
from a semi-blind side from Tom Wilson, who was suspended seven games for the incident. Now, this is definitely a, a polarizing incident because this isn't, you know, your textbook blindside shot. It wasn't, you know, only principal point of the contact being the head. There was some chest there. So there's a lot of gray area for people to work through. But in the end, Tom Wilson, a repeat offender, has been suspended 20 games before, you know, these things are supposed to multiply. But the context in this situation made it so that he only received a seven-game suspension for the hit on Carlo. Uh, where where are you on that on that number? Uh, do you do you feel like that was a good suspension, a just decision from Dops, or or was this just another mistake and, and Tom Wilson allowed to get away with, to a certain degree, another predatory hit? I'm so mystified and a bit confused by the ruling not because of the hit i mean just tom wilson just we've seen him get suspended time after time after time and this is what is the case fifth suspension since like 2018 like this is a guy who continues to as as charlie murphy once said he's a habitual line stepper like he just continues to, I'm not trying to make a joke out of it. He continues to, 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 to kind of step over that line and, and do these hits. And even mm -hmm. if you want to say that this particular hit, there's some gray area there, you, you know, the head wasn't necessarily, you know, the, pr the principal point of contact. I'm sorry. This is just a situation with Tom Wilson has just done this too many times. Uh, for me as a person, if I happen to have any power on Dops, to give this person the benefit of the doubt. They found a way to suspend him by it by saying it was a boarding hit, but I I I feel seven games is just not enough. I understand in the context of a 56-game season, uh, seven games kind of, you know, rates a little differently as yeah, opposed yeah. to what it would be like in an actual 82-game season, but this is still a player who, you know, fine, it's been a few years since he had his last suspension, but he continues to do this stuff again. And I just wonder, you know, at this point with not even just with him, but with other people who are just making these hits, because there are so many other hits that have happened in this season uh, where it may be a similar situation where it's a gray matter thing where, you know, the head may not be the principal point of contact or whatever. It doesn't matter. There's been so many other hits that have happened this season that have not been suspended. I mm -hmm. just wonder now uh, if, at this point, if it's just going to have to be a whole-scale institutional change that's going to have to happen where players are really going to have to get it, for lack of a better term, put in their heads mm. that they can't look at players like a Brandon Carlo and see it as an opportunity for them to to lay out a hit. You know, I, I think at this point, you know, we could get mad at Dobbs all we want. We can get mad at, at Tom Wilson all we want. But unless there's some kind of institutional change that goes beyond that, on how players should approach players in open ice or along the boards, then we might not see that much change. And I know people like Peter Laviolette are where like, oh, well, if we're going to suspend Tom Wilson for hits yeah. like that, we're going to have to get rid of hitting. No, we don't have to get rid of hitting. Hitting is still a, a big part of this game, but we have to, the NHL has to find a way to eradicate predatory hits. I'm not saying it's an easy, quick fix, but I think the problems go well beyond uh, the the suspension number for for a number of games for a player and repeat offenders, which Tom Wilson should be disciplined heavily for, but it goes beyond that. They need to, the NHL needs to look into that. Ironically, I think information is actually part of the problem here. I think the most dangerous Tom Wilson is an educated Tom Wilson. I think he's wised up. I mean, he hasn't been, you know, he's a guy that habitually toes the line or crosses the line. 
Um, but he's been a little bit reformed, it seems, at least the last few months or years, or maybe this is just the pandemic clouding my judgment. But the fact that he's wised up is not necessarily a good thing because it looked like to me that he tried to disguise a malicious act, which is taking a run at a guy and specifically his head, by taking into account what he's learned in these countless run-ins with the NHL's Department of Player Safety and actually applying what he's learned. Like, I feel like he was targeting... He was his his intent was malicious. He was targeting the chest first and then moving up through the head. And that's why there's a huge debate over the legality of this hit. But I do need to credit to the, the Department of Player Safety for seeing through what I thought was Tom Wilson trying to skirt the rules a little bit and try to like disguise what he was doing. Cause that's to me, that's what happened. But Dops saw that Carlo went to the hospital. Immediately he's grabbing his head after he gets hit. The, you know, the, the point of contact was chest first, but immediately 90% of it was to the head and it didn't need to be initiated. The contact did not need to be initiated. It was clearly predatory in nature. It's a repeat defender. Like clearly he needed to be suspended. And, and I, I give them credit for seeing that it was a bad hit, but also taking into account everything. Like if you gave him 30 games here, you know, it, it's a little bit different from what he's done in the past. So I, I still think it's dangerous to like let him sort of skirt these rules and, and take advantage of what he knows and, and how he can mani- manipulate the situation. Um, but at some point, you got, you just got to come down on Tom Wilson. Like if, if he does this again, if he, if he's able to, uh, you know, find a way to make it look like he's doing it lega- legally, and, and it's something that's actually very harmful, you've got to compound this. Like, you now have a precedent for this. And if he does this again, you have to up the penalty. And if you have to keep upping the penalty in every situation, but you can't just say, hey, it's Tom Wilson, it's automatically 30 games, because all these things are different. And, and this hit was different. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy that they saw that it was actually a pretty bad hit, because when I first looked at it, I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I guess he's trying to follow the rules. But when you look at it and you see his eyes and you see him approaching, he didn't have to make that hit. And he hit the head. He got a lot of the head. And that's why it's a suspendable hit. Justin, I I know you asked the questions on this show. I just want to throw this one at you. Do you think Dops looks at this play if Brandon Carlo uh, doesn't get hurt, doesn't have to go to the hospital? Not as much, no. I think think the hospital is the main reason why he got suspended the way he did. Um, and, And I... And I and I do think it's good that they take that into account because, um, not not that everything should be judged on that. I mean, we talk about high sticks where it's like it's four minutes if they're bleeding. That makes no sense. You can hit someone hard and dangerously and recklessly in the face with a stick, and it could be only two minutes. When it was really, it could give a guy a concussion without any blood being pouring out of his nose or a mm-hmm. chipped tooth or anything. Like these things should should be the context is important in all these situations, and the fact that Brandon Carlo needed to go to the hospital because his brain was rattling around his in his head as much as it as it was means something. It means something to the situation, and it should mean something to the suspension and the punishment levied against Tom Wilson. I agree. It's just I'm glad you answered it the way that I would have, or at least a lot better than I would. You do that a lot on the show, but I just feel that. The fact that injury has to be taken into account for either high stick or or a dangerous hit like that, while understandable, and in some ways I do like the fact that they do it, 
it should not have to dictate whether a, a play is dangerous or not. And for especially for a player like Tom Wilson, who has done this over and over and over and over, the thought of the NHL just kind of letting this skirt by if Brandon Carlo just kind of trudged on and just kept playing just boggles my mind. I can envision a scenario if Brandon Carlo just takes that hit and, you know, maybe he, even if he didn't have to go to the hospital, you just kind of rest on one knee and then just kind of sits on the bench for a few minutes. And you've got to remember too, there was no penalty called in the original play. There was no penalty mm-hmm. called, nothing at all, right? So the NHL could have just, like already on the ice, they weren't going to do anything about that play. The NHL could have just said, you know what? No need to, to add any supplemental discipline because of hits that we've seen throughout the league uh, this season and, and in years past. And I know some people are going to say that we look at head trauma differently. Now we look at these hits so much differently than we did back in 2011, but I'm sorry, the NHL has built up this history where they can be a bit too selective on hits that they deem to be, you know, suspendable and other hits that are just not suspendable at all. And someone else brought up the point, and, and you could tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I think PJ Stock on Twitter brought up the point about the hit saying, hey, well, what if Sidney Crosby was all, was the recipient of that hit from Tom Wilson? Would Tom Wilson still get seven games? I, again, just I don't – I think the suspension might be the same or I don't think it matters all that much. And I know people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, people looked at those hits back in the day as, as differently as we do now. Sidney Crosby got clocked in 2011 in a winter classic and – Nothing happened. This is your yeah. star player, a, a the one of the faces, if not the face of your league. I'm still mad about this. This happened like a decade ago. This happened in the middle of the ice, and nothing happened. And it resulted in concussion issues that took away games from a, a player that we discussed on this podcast as arguably the best we've seen, if not the best we've seen over the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. The NHL has shown in its history uh, that you know they can be selective with the hits that they deem suspendable. It doesn't necessarily matter whether you're a star player or not who gets it. And while injury does dictate things, if a player doesn't get injured, a player like a Tom Wilson can get away with everything. And there's institutional change that needs to happen with how players approach hits. And there's institutional change that needs to happen with the league on how they just look at these hits, period. There's so much wrong with how they view this problem. So Mm. much wrong. Yeah, I I think, uh, I mean, every year, we are reminded that things need to be looked at, uh, and it's been pretty decent this year. Um, but leave it to Tom Wilson to uh, remind us not that not everything is as it should be. Okay, um, let's move on to topic number three, which is that the North Division, I guess a reminder that the North Division is existing in a completely different world. Uh, CJ, Chris Johnson of Sportsnet reported on Saturday headlines that some players in the United States are actually starting to get their vaccines very quietly, which is great. Uh, I mean, everybody should be getting any, I'm not going to, you hear this like, oh, million dollar athletes. Why are they getting preferential? They're not. They're just, there's just other areas in the States and in the world that are more advanced than where, where we are right now, which is only 85 plus are starting to get vaccinated. So uh, it's not about the athletes have sp- preferential treatment, have special treatment. No, it's just that area in the, in the country is on, you know, players that are or people that are 30 plus or 20 plus and and are and are uh, they're getting through the vaccination process better than we are in Canada that's just how it is it's a bummer for U.S. players that are playing in Canada uh you know Justin Hall Jeff Petrie Austin Matthews I'd be maybe a little bit perturbed that you know I'm not getting vaccinated when 
you know, the, my, the people that are in my hometown are, but that's a story for another day. But I think the bigger news on the, you know, when related to the chasm between the United States and Canada right now when it comes to vaccinations or the process with COVID-19 is from Pierre Lebrun, who reported this week that the Canadian team that does emerge from the first two rounds of the playoffs will probably have to relocate because, again, we're not at the point where we're going to have borders open and teams flying in and out, uh, even if they are fully vaccinated, these teams. It's just not going to happen. So it's it's a reminder that, you know, what's happening in the Canadian division is very isolated and what's happening in the United States. But as much as it's, you know, great for U.S. players or players that are in the U.S. and playing in the U.S. or getting vaccinated because everyone should be getting vaccinated as soon as possible, the fact that a Canadian team is going to have to relocate for the third and fourth round of the playoffs potentially is not fair at all. Like, this is not a just world, uh, and it's a serious disadvantage. Now, I think there could be a scenario in which you even the playing field here, but that's not going to happen because the NHL is not going to throw away potential NH or revenue because they want uh, you know a bubble scenario with no fans and everything to be equal. It's just not going to happen. So... Is this uh, is this potentially detrimental? Do you think to the Canadian team that comes through? Uh, and should the NHL think about leveling the playing field here, even if it, it does come at the expense of revenue? I can definitely see why it could be detrimental, um, and I can only draw off the experience that I've seen with Major League Soccer teams, with teams like the team formerly known as the Montreal Impact and, and Toronto FC and Vancouver Whitecaps, basically going through much of last season and it looks as if they're going to have to do the same thing again playing most of their seasons in the united states and at least for those i mean for those teams they have to go through entire seasons but those were that's still time where they were away from their families away from home uh, and living in essentially out of a hotel and for those teams uh, it, it definitely wears on you mentally i get you know what players and teams athletes are used to kind of living out of a hotel but it's a whole other thing when you know you don't have that option to kind of go back home to your actual family or go back home to your actual home. And you're essentially living in a completely different place than where you thought you'd be posted up uh, at home when you signed your contract or got traded to whatever team you ended up on. I mm -hmm. definitely think from a mental standpoint, uh, whichever team kind of enters that third round, that's going to be an added challenge. They already have to deal with the fact that they're going to be up against, you know, a tough opponent, whichever team that might be, in whichever round they end up in, but to, to go on the fact that they're, they're essentially not going to have any type of home advantage. Imagine if you're a team coming out of the North division, like a Toronto, I don't know what their home record is, but you, and even if there are no fans, you just like the idea that you're comfortable just playing at home. Own bed, own get, dressing room. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, all that. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It, you basically eliminate all of that during a seven game series. Like, like, like if Toronto were to say, let's say in a world, Toronto is the team that gets to a third round okay. and they play, I'm not sure who they play, but where would, where would their home base be? Like Buffalo? Would that, that's, would that be that's what That's what LeBron reported. Yeah. Potentially Buffalo. Right. So in that case, Buffalo would be your, your home confines. That's not, is that fair? Is, I don't, that doesn't feel that, I, I agree I agree with you. I don't know if that's necessarily fair. You don't really have that much of a home advantage. It makes it all yeah. more impressive if you win. But yeah, I think a lot of teams, I think Canadian teams who, who end up out of that in that situation, I can totally see why it's unfair. At least in the bubble, everyone was at the same level playing field, exactly. playing in the same arena. 
But if you're going back and forth between another team's home city and, and, and your own home city, that's not as fair. No, I mean, if you use the Toronto example, and let's say they draw the the Boston Bruins in the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final, and you have a packed TD Garden, a house of horrors for this team for the last five, six, seven, I guess, 2013, eight years. It's been a house of horrors for this franchise. And you have to go and, well, maybe you're, maybe you're fortunate enough to have the best record in the NHL. Perhaps that is the case. So you start with two games in an empty building that you are unfamiliar with, that has no personality, no character, nothing targeted directly towards you. And for games three and four, you're stepping into a madhouse in Boston where you already have this history of losing and being, uh, you know, tormented in that building. And you have no, you have nothing to counter that with because you're playing in a cookie cutter stadium that has no personality and nothing for you. It would not be fair to the Maple Leafs. It's not going to be fair to whichever Canadian team gets there. And that's why they should do a bubble. It's not going to happen. Um, but it, it would, it, it only makes, it is only just in a just world. They're in a bubble. Everyone has the same advantages, but that's just not going to happen. Okay. Uh, you wrote about the NHL's progress with its diversity efforts on Yahoo Sports this week. Uh, you talked to JP, JT Brown, Anthony Stewart, among others, about uh, the progress the NHL, or the lack of progress the NHL is making. I'll let you explain uh, what exactly you found. Um, but this comes, you know, the week after the conclusion of Black History Month. So I welcome to share you to share your findings in this space, be it positive, be it the continued issues, uh, and, and, uh, and what you drew from those conversations with uh, influential Black leaders in the game. I just want to say to start off, I appreciate the fact that we're having this conversation in this space, considering the platform that Yahoo Sports has, especially in the NHL world. I also want to say that I appreciate the fact that we're having this conversation a couple of days after Black History Month, because it's very easy to uh, have these conversations in February when that topic is is kind of put up for everyone to you know discuss and 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 a lot of people can always act as if they care for what it's worth uh when i was speaking to renee hess of a black girl hockey club after we were finished our interview she was explaining how there are a lot of people who have been reaching out to her for interviews and she'd been very selective and i kind of understood because a lot of people like to come in in february and and discuss mm -hmm. you know black history month and, and, and issues pertaining to black people and then in march april may june july august the rest of the year they're nowhere to be found on that. And that was a big theme from what I what I took from talking to Renee, talking to JT Brown, talking to Eustace King, uh, Anthony Stewart as well. A lot of people want the league specifically, a lot of people in general as well, but a lot of people want the league to get to a point where the issue, where, where diversity and inclusion, especially with black people, goes beyond the one month, which is also, again, the shortest month of the year. They want it to be something that is just part of their fabric. And there are, and I know I've been very critical on 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 the league and, and it's 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 place with diversity. And I wanted to at least show that there have been some positive developments, not just what we've seen in terms of assistant coaches and 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 personnel. Uh, We've also seen it in the media as well, seeing Sportsnet put together broadcasts where you could see Anthony Stewart and Anson Carter share a desk. Like that's a mm -hmm. David Amber could always and, and David see David Amber uh, on their broadcast as well. That's a big step for for hockey. I mean, the broadcasters, even if they're you know they have their rights deals with the league, they don't necessarily work for the league. They play a huge role in that. So the biggest th the biggest thing I took away is is that 
a lot of the people, you know, whether they're in the league, whether they've played in the league, whether they're working on these issues, they want the league to be at a point where they can go beyond, you know, just seeing the league just do stuff during Black History Month when it comes to Black people, and also just continue their work to try to be inclusive to Indigenous people, to women as well, to other people who are just not white. And it's 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 work that has to be done uh, continually. It's work that has to be done beyond a month that's been set for a certain people. And it's going to have to come with with more people, not just like myself, but like yourself as well, Justin, uh, holding the league, putting the putting the league's feet to the fire on these things mm-hmm. as well and, and asking these important questions as tough as they can be uh, during scrums when the opportunity presents itself. It's not easy for everybody, but it's something that, you know, we're going to have to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you touched on it a lot. I think the main message or one of the big take home messages was that it has to continue beyond this month, this month. I think that was one thing that, uh, came up a lot in conversations, very important, obviously. And it was, uh, it was a lot of what you talked about in your piece. So is there evidence to, to suggest that it will, are, are you, are you more positive that it will because it hasn't in the past? Uh, and are there actual steps towards this conversation continuing? Um, you know, you mentioned a, a lot better presence on Sportsnet, which is the national broadcast in Canada. And we, we're, everyone is seeing it all the time. Everyone's seeing mm-hmm. Anthony Stewart, David Amber, Anson Carter all the time. I mean, that, it, that is a, a significant step forward, but is there anything else that's going on that will allow that conversation to continue? I guess just, you know, I think of a JT Brown who, you know, he raised his fist during a game. And he, he did it and, and he said he got death threats after the fact. And even before all that, he, he had uh, John Tortorella kind of go back and forth with him on, well, it wasn't really back and forth, but he brought up the idea if any, if anyone kneeled before a game, yeah, uh, you know, he would bench them. I, I think just having, just have, making sure that people understand that when black athletes or just black people in general, especially over these last few years, bring attention to things to police police brutality police brutality excuse me racism any of these issues that affect us as black people you know they're coming from a place sometimes of experience and white players just players who are not black just need to understand uh where they're coming from and Mm -hmm. i i hope that more and more players i think we've seen that with with what's gone on in the but what what had happened in the bubble after the uh, the Jacob Blake shooting, that there are players that are looking to listen. The next step, I guess, is it's just them on their own time, just seeking to understand more and asking questions and, and doing more to, uh, doing more to show that they've understood, doing more to to show that they can be in- inclusive. And I know what I brought up is just kind of one part of it, but. I, I think there's a lot of responsibility that falls on the athletes themselves. Teams can do all they want to show that they're inclusive. The Montreal Canadiens had a night where they had their players wear these uh, these all blacked out Montreal Canadiens jerseys during warm-up as a way to commemorate Black History Month and, and celebrate Willie O'Ree. And they were supposed to, you know, auction and they auctioned these jerseys off and the proceeds are supposed to go to an organization that that helps a part of town in Montreal. I mean, that's the team that that's money being made. That's that's easy. But mm-hmm. what's not easy is, I don't know, say, like, let's let's pull up a random player like a like an Austin Matthews stepping up and saying, hey, like, you know, Black Lives Matter and I care about Black Lives Matter. And I think that 
this is something that we should be stepping up and, and doing. It's 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 a Sidney Crosby, it's a Connor McDavid, it's it's those faces that step up. Uh, I think there's more onus on on those guys being the faces of you know maybe not necessarily being the faces, but them stepping up and saying, hey, like we we sh- we don't need to be standing for racism or or any of that dialogue in our locker room or or anywhere around that. So. I think the biggest thing going forward is just seeing more players kind of step up in that regard and not even necessarily just do it from a performative standpoint where they have to put out a big fancy post or, or a blacked out square or whatever. It's, 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 it's going to come with them putting money where their mouth is and, and donating money to different organizations, but also on their own time, recognizing their own racial biases and, and, and trying to right whatever wrongs they might have in their personal lives. Cause you know, it's, it's more than just being performative. It's because we, we, a lot of people, in their own lives may have to reckon with the fact that they might have someone who isn't inclusive or racist and they have to deal with that. There's a lot of work that has to come from the athletes themselves uh, for there to be any significant development on this front. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, a lot, you know, is, is it rests on the NHL shoulders, but it comes down to people as individuals to take the steps that they can take. Uh, and I think that's a good reminder. Um, the last thing we're going to touch on was the, Unfortunate news that Walter Gretzky passed away this week. His funeral was Saturday. Um, and since the news of his death, and even before, because this is just a topic people love to talk about, is uh, the personal stories they had with Walter Gretzky. We've been hearing a lot of them. So I'm wondering if you have a encounter, a story, anything to share on Walter Gretzky uh, as you know him. Um, I don't have any personal encounters with him. I'll just say that seeing other people bring up their stories and seeing him described as possibly the world's greatest hockey dad is like the coolest honor. I understand his son and and the accolades and the accomplishments that he's done has a lot to do with it. But it's funny to think like how Wayne's credited his father for so much that he's learned like throughout his life, like the idea of him like going like the quote I'm trying to remember specifically is, is Wayne Gretzky saying, you know, he, he finds success because he, he goes to, to where the puck is going and not to where the puck has been. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he learned that from his dad. Like that's, that's a huge yeah. thing. I, I think uh, to see Walter be celebrated by the league as much as he has to see all these different players in the national hockey league, step up and, and say like, Hey, he was a great father. He was a great father. He was a great person to meet. He was a generous person with this time. A lot of people have brought up the fact that he, you know, he's willing to autograph all these different things whenever people would come up to him and, and try to talk to him. I think that's a huge testament to how special this person was. He will be missed by the hockey community. And even if I never, ever got to meet him personally, uh, you know, I don't have any hockey dads in my life. I never played organized hockey growing up aside from ball hockey. But, you know, as someone as part of this hockey culture through media, uh, I totally recognize the greatness of, of Walter Gretzky. And I think it's very touching to see everyone uh, say kind words about him and also pay tributes to him as well. I like that you said recognizing the greatness of Walter Gretzky. And I think the greatness of Walter Gretzky was the fact that he recognized the greatness of his son. Um 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Obviously, Wayne Gretzky's, you know, is where he is in hockey lore and deservedly so. But it seems Walter Gretzky knew, even from a young age, that he had something special. I mean, he would show up at tournaments with, you know, a video camera and outside in the outdoor rink. And no one had video cameras back then. Like, this wasn't a common thing where now you see in the stands, you know, the AAA Toronto Marlboros, there's probably, you know, there's probably play-by-play of what's going on. But that's that's not what it was back in the day when Wayne Gretzky was, was coming up. And his dad compiled all this footage. That's why we see all this footage of Wayne Gretzky because his dad got it and captured it. He knew he had something special. And he good point. invested his money into capturing it, which is the ultimate hockey dad move. Like, there's no more pride in your son, I would assume, than you know trying to capture all these images so that you have them forever. And I think that's what made him special right off the bat. I mean, me and you might be the only two people in hockey media that don't have personal hit stories with Walter Gretzky. I've never met him either. Um, I don't have I, I can't don't have that firsthand knowledge of how kind and and uh, warm of a human he was uh and all the time that he had for anyone who wanted it um but there's a lot of hockey parents there's a lot of sports parents there's a lot of athletes who have parents who are even somewhat in the public eye but none of them seem to be respected to the degree to the degree that walter gretzky is and that's not just because his son is the great one it's because he was a great father and a great person and someone who who spread love and was uh inclusive and you know before we were talking about inclusivity he was he was there to talk to anyone who wanted to talk about hockey, anyone who wanted a picture, anyone who wanted an autograph. And I think that's what make, makes Walter Gretzky special. Absolutely. And like I mentioned before, he absolutely will be missed by this hockey community. And now I'm kind of sad that I never got the opportunity to, I mean, I don't know if he, I mean, I can't think of the last time he was ever in Montreal, but I mm-hmm. would have imagined if I had ever gotten the opportunity to meet Walter, it would have been a very special time. It definitely would have. Uh, we'll leave it there. The Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, another Sunday edition. I cut you off last week when we were lauding our producer, Ben, for his work with Sportsnet. Uh, I could give you the floor right now to do the same, but I'll let you just have the last word on this podcast because I abruptly cut you off last time. Ben, I just want to say, man, uh, the work that you did on that Wayne Simmons piece is great. And I just want to say, since I'm here, I appreciate all the work that you do. You're in a position... Uh, as a producer of this show, but also just as a producer period where more persons of color need to be in the sports media world. 
where you know a big deal is a, a big emphasis is placed on the fact that we need more front-facing people, but we need more people in those positions of producers and eventually arising to the roles of decision makers. So Ben, I just want to say that I respect the hell out of you and you continue to keep doing good work, my man, because you are going to be a star in this industry. Julian, well said. Ben, Julian, until next week, that's another episode of the Ivy Sports Hockey Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.